Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You scared money don't make no money. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. What is up, everyone? We are back with another podcast. It's been a minute. Matei here. I'm joined by Doug. We got a loaded episode tonight. We're going to be talking Belk Bowl. We're going to be talking some recruiting news. We're going to be talking about some coaching rumors. And we'll finish off with some questions. But first, Doug, how are we tonight? We're good. It's uh, It's been a little bit of a busy week, hasn't it? Oh, super busy week. Been pretty stressed out myself. A lot of text messages flying around. Uh, a lot of chaos in the Virginia Tech football program right now. But it's better than having a dull off season. I'll say that. That Sunday had to have been one of the... In terms of the coaching changes and then the Belk Bowl drama, um, leave it to any bowl game to to create a little suspense at the very end. But uh, that was a full day. Yeah, I was I was definitely glued to my phone for the entire afternoon <laughs> on Sunday. But how how was your weekend? You have a good weekend. Weekend was good. Uh, you know, nothing nothing too crazy. I assume based on you asking me that question that you have a uh you had a particularly good weekend yes uh, exactly <laughs> and thank you so much for asking so as many of you know i referenced it in one of the earlier podcasts but uh my roommate and i were coaching eighth grade boys basketball and uh you know we had a slow start to the regular season last year but capped off four wins in the playoffs as the 10 seed and ultimately ended up with the championship Last Saturday was our first game of the season, and we're one and zero, baby. Wow, that's a huge season opener for you. Huge season the, opener. What was the uh, score? <laughs> uh, we don't have to get into that, but no, I was let's like, get into it. Okay, fine. It was twenty-four to twenty. Well, that's fine. But okay, here's the thing: <laughs> the opposing coach, his son, is six foot six, roaming the paint. Keep in mind, our tallest player at 13 years old is five foot nine. So, of course, it took a lot of brilliance in the coaching department to navigate the waters of the paint and get around that six foot six giant and <laughs> score points in the paint. Because, come on, we can't shoot threes. So, ultimately, it was a it was a great hard fought victory, and we're well on our way to becoming a program. I think. Oh, a program. That's good. Um... Not a program, a program. A program. Well, you know, that's just good coaching, but um, you also got to give a lot of credit to the other team. That's a 
It's a hard-nosed bunch over there, and you got a lot of respect for the way that they, they do things over there. Well, you're going to hate me for saying this, but there's a, there's a quarter cap. You can't play four quarters. The coach tried to make his son play all four quarters. Oh, so and they're so cheaters. We, they're cheaters. We called a tactical timeout and said really loudly to the score table, I didn't know there's a new rule where you could play all four quarters, and immediately he was ejected. Wow. <laughs> I know, yeah. So already some drama. And then the other interesting note, it's going to be a serious podcast. So you got to start off with, you know, a little good humor. But uh, one of the kids on our squad is a huge UVA fan. Oh, God. And he <laughs> saw that my assistant coach was wearing a Virginia Tech shirt to practice, asked us our background, where we went to school, everything, said that he's a huge Wahoo fan, and said Virginia was going to break the streak this year. And I said, oh, we'll, we'll see about that. Like, you know, it has been 15 years. Comes to practice following the podcast we did last week. Decked out completely in UVA clothes. <laughs> brings his own basketball to practice. Chess passed it to me at the beginning of practice. And he's like, coach, look at the ball. I look at it. I'm holding a UVA basketball. And he just has this, the biggest grin on his face. I literally got bullied and bodied by a 13-year-old. Yeah, I was going to say, are you getting trolled by a 13-year-old? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I let him live in the moment. Um, did you did bench run... him for the game? Yeah, we ran a lot of suicides that practice. A lot. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> a good. lot. And he only got two quarters. But, you know, <laughs> next game, we, he's one of our better players. So you have to play him, you know? Yeah. Tough, tough. <laughs> that sounds like a real tough situation for, for you to navigate. Yeah, so that was my weekend in coaching. One and zero, looking to go three and zero, or one and zero, one and zero next weekend to go three and zero. Um, you know, big weekend coming up. We got some official visits on tap, um, but let's let's shift over to Virginia Tech because you know they got some <laughs> they got some big coaching news. Is this a they Virginia got, Tech podcast? This is a Virginia Tech podcast. Believe right, it or good. not, <laughs> time to get into the serious end of things. Uh, first, let's start off with the Belk Bowl. So on Sunday, it was announced that Virginia Tech would be playing in the Belk Bowl. The last time they played in the game, 2016, I was there, played Arkansas, down 24 at the half, ended up scoring 35 straight points and winning that game. Once again, selected, and they'll play Mississippi State, right? Incorrect. Um, Tennessee. Try again. Kentucky. There you go. <laughs> so, the joke and all that, for context, the Belk Bowl decided it would be a really good idea to withhold any information about the bowl selection process. Meanwhile, the Belk Bowl slated between one ACC team, which is Virginia Tech and was announced early on, and one SEC team, where three different schools argued with each other for who would have the right to go to that game. At first, it was Mississippi State. They ended up going to the Music City Bowl to play Louisville. Then it was Tennessee, but no, no, no. Tennessee wanted to go to the Gator Bowl. So then it became Kentucky. So now it's Kentucky, officially official. It's officially official Kentucky. And, um, you know, I wish the Athletic or somebody had a, had a fly on the wall there for a oral history of Sunday as the SEC decided the Belk Bowl participant. 
Um, I'm sure there were some conference conference calls that I, I guess they were getting heated about which bowl they were going to. Um, so yeah, pretty uh, pretty crazy situation <laughs> where yeah, you just didn't know who Virginia Tech was going to play for you know three hours. Uh, Breckett Murphy had reported that it was Mississippi State and. He normally just has all the bowls, just <laughs> tweets them out all day and uh, had to go back and correct that one. Yeah, Brett McMurphy, he has uh, he says he puts an asterisk and then always explains what the asterisk is and said it was Mississippi State. So at that point, you know, I'm like, OK, it's Mississippi State. Prepare the article. Nope. Scrap it up. <laughs> Prepare <laughs> for Tennessee, which we were talking about this on the last podcast of teams we'd like to see. I think we both agreed Tennessee was probably at the top of that list. Then maybe Mississippi State, followed by Kentucky, um, of the available teams in the SEC, but or Texas A and M for that matter. Should, um, should we start the rumor that I heard Tennessee was scared of playing Virginia Tech and they asked out of that for that reason? Hundred percent. Let's get this <laughs> rivalry going a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, they should be playing more. Just. If you, if you look at the proximity of both programs, how insanely hyped that battle at Bristol game was. This would have been the perfect rematch. Two teams that struggled early on and then kind of figured it out towards the end. Um, but it's Kentucky, and Kentucky is a very, very peculiar team. Yeah, in terms of um, offensive creativity or... Uh... I don't know what you want to call it, but right now that's not Kentucky. Um, I think they run the ball 90% of the time. Uh, Maybe which, 95. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it's going to be a lot of runs. So uh, if you don't, if you're a fan of the forward pass, um, maybe <laughs> Kentucky's certainly not your team. It was interesting because I think on one of our first podcasts, we discussed Paul Johnson retiring from Georgia Tech and how finally, you know, there's there's no more trickery or teams that are primarily running uh, the triple option or a run based offense. And then you see a little bit of it with Duke, a little of it with Furman, you know, little glimpses here and there. And now it's Kentucky probably epitomizes the run offense the most out of any opponent that Virginia Tech has played this year. Okay, so they switched. They there's a clear line where they switched <laughs> this offense, and I'm yeah. looking at their game log for the rushing offense. On September 28th, <laughs> they played at South Carolina. They lost 24 to seven. They ran the ball 28 times for 115 yards. Not a great rushing number, but you know, pretty standard 28 attempts. The next week they went to they played Arkansas at home, fifty-four carries for three hundred thirty yards. They got smoked the next week against Georgia, thirty-five carries. <laughs> against Tennessee, sixty-four carries for three hundred two yards. And their last two games of the year, granted, they were against Tennessee Martin. And then Louisville was good this year. They had forty-five carries against Tennessee Martin, forty carries against Louisville for Looks like a combined 979 <laughs> yards and 12 touchdowns on the ground. Oh, um, So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a big day for the Virginia Tech defensive line and linebackers. Yeah, so Kentucky, for context, very good team out of the SEC. Kind of had, you know, 
two veteran teams last year beating Penn State. I forgot what bowl they were in, but very highly ranked. And it was because they got a, a junior college transfer from Terry Wilson, their quarterback. He tore his peck earlier this season, and since then they couldn't find a quarterback. So they converted their top overall wide receiver to quarterback, Lynn Bowden Jr., who just declared for the NFL draft as a wide receiver, and he leads the team with 1,235 rushing yards and leads the team in receiving yards with 348. That should tell you everything you need to know. 348. That's like... (laughs) This is like high school football where you'll have like a player who is clearly better than everybody else on the field. And like for the first two games of the year, they'll stick him at wide receiver because, you know, he's probably going to play that position at the next level and he wants to play that. But then they don't have a quarterback who can get him the ball. So then they just switch him to quarterback and he carries carries the entire team um, since becoming the quarterback. Uh, he threw 15 passes against Georgia, which is his most in a game but he only completed two of them. Um, <laughs> his best game was at Vandy, which was 8 of 10 for 104 yards. He threw two passes against Louisville. Um, I, th- I, I think you're going to see under 10 passes from him. Yeah, two touchdowns, two interceptions on the year. That's their starting quote-unquote quarterback. Yeah, against Tennessee Martin, that terrible team. They beat 50-7. to seven. He, was <laughs> he was one for six for nine yards with a pick. His, his his quarterback rating was negative four. <laughs> hey, hey, don't trash on Tennessee Martin because that's where Adam Lechtenberg coached. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, a tease. A little tease uh, to preview what's coming. But um, I don't want to go too in-depth about Kentucky um, because we're going to have a whole podcast on them. You don't need to hear it all now. Just the gist of it. Um, number 20 total defense, really good defensive squad plays in the sec. So they're playing against legitimate competition outside of Tennessee at Martin. Um, but you know, they're, they're a really solid team. Just it's, it's just a really strange situation having their best. It's like having Trey Turner as the Virginia tech starting quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. If for some reason, Virginia tech has zero (laughs) quarterbacks at any time. Um, you know, I guess now that we talk about it, it's, it goes back 1998 Virginia tech. Um, I think Al Clark was the quarterback that year. And then Dave Meyer was the backup. They both get hurt. Nick Sorensen was a free safety who eventually played for years in the NFL because of special teams, but he had to go play quarterback. Um, and actually, he started a game. I think they lost it to Boston College at the end of the year, but certainly he wasn't the same quarterback as the best wide receiver on the team. <laughs> they can put, they can actually, you know, put forth an offense that rushes for 400 yards. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But overall, you know, we were pretty confident it was going to be the Belk Bowl. And obviously against one of those four teams, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky, it turned out to be almost three out of four of those teams. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Doug, will you be attending the bowl game? No, I don't think I'm going to make it uh, to that one. I think the 
think between Boston College, Notre Dame, the budget for um, road trips has dried up for the for the, and I I, I guess I got to start saving up for Penn State uh, in September. So <laughs> I will I will say for anyone in the DMV area, um, I will be down there if you want to say hello. Just look for the Camo Crocs. And you can find me, but uh, flights out of BWI Spirit Airlines for around $70. So kind of a steal. Yeah, kind of a steal. So I will be down there. I'll be traveling down from New York on the 30th and going straight to BWI, spending New Year's and the bowl game in Charlotte, and then 11.30 a.m. flight back on New Year's Day. I, I just hope I wake up. Better than driving. Better than driving. Um but let's get into the other big news on Sunday afternoon. We got more? We got more news on Sunday. Big, big news. Who is going to replace Bud Foster? Internal hire, Justin Hamilton. Ascends from director of player personnel in his first season two years ago to the safeties coach, replacing Tyrone Nix, to now the defensive coordinator of Virginia Tech Okies. What was your what was your first reaction to seeing that news? Uh, I texted a couple of people. I said, whoa. <laughs> and I said, whoa, again. Um, pretty surprising, considering what we've been hearing. Um, I think by that point of the day on Sunday, the Barry Odom stuff had kind of fizzled out, but he still felt like they were going... Um, you know, outside the the Virginia Tech family, I guess you could say. Um, but you just didn't know where they were going. And then I think it was around 11 a.m. or something, noon, um, the press release comes back, and it's Justin Hamilton. And um, clearly he's been impressive enough over his two years to, to at least go from, you know, they went through a, a search when – they were, were looking to replace Tyrone Nix. You know, I'm sure they looked around and decided Justin Hamilton was the best they had for that spot, too. So um, clearly, Bud Foster and Justin Fuente think very highly of what he's done as a coach, um, at least as a coach this year and then in his previous role, which is a Suedo coach. Um, um, so I think risky hire, for sure. And I think everybody's well aware of why it's a risky hire and that's because he has one year of position coaching experience at the power five level so i'm definitely a risk by justin fuente um especially at this point of his tenure when he's going into 2020 with high very high expectations for for what should happen next season so um big risk and a big surprise yeah and i just want to give a little context behind it because i know that you know, it was kind of a, a mixed bag of emotions from the fan base. There were several people ripping the hire. A lot of people were excited by it. I would say generally, you know, more people were excited about it than hated it. Um, but Justin Hamilton, a former player, played in the NFL for a few seasons, uh, was injured, uh, started his coaching career uh, UVA-wise, um, and then moved to VMI, came back to Virginia Tech in a support role, and then obviously safeties coach this past season. What's interesting about the timeline of this hire is you would expect an internal hire, at least I did, 
to be announced way sooner than four months after they announced Bud Foster was going to retire. You know, at that point, you have a succession plan. You're keeping recruits in the boat. But it's not that simple. I think that, you know, Whit Babcock did his research, uh, found multiple targets, some that may never be revealed, and, you know, had conversations with a lot of these guys. And, you know, I know there was a lot of stock in the Torian Gray uh, potential higher Florida defensive backs coach. Um, but those talks were never super serious. So, you know, during the season, um, I was made aware that the staff met and they were discussing who would replace Bud. And Bud essentially stood up on the table and gave his vote of confidence to Justin Hamilton. Um, so at that point, the seed was planted, right? That this could be a very realistic possibility. The downsides to that and what everyone was thinking, one, he doesn't have enough experience. He's 37 years old and uh, has worked in the, at the Power 5 level for really a year and a half. Um, at that point, maybe a year. Um, but besides that, you know, when Bud was dealing with health issues late in the year in 2018, Hamilton filled in. He talked to recruits. He went on in-home visits. He went above and beyond the call of duty each and every time. You know, he did various recruiting events, hockey club events. He always stepped beyond the boundaries of what his role entailed. Um, so I think that the staff themselves were very confident. Also, if you look at any of the game film, when they, when they show Bud Foster on the television screen, you'll see Justin Hamilton right behind Bud soaking up all the information, soaking the play calls. You know, he was given that responsibility to kind of be a fly on the wall throughout this entire season to see how the defense operates so that if they needed him to step into this role, he would have some experience. And then I guess finally, on my final point, Barry Odom entering the picture late in the process was a very realistic possibility. I just think that between head coaching openings and maybe bigger SEC defensive coordinator openings, Virginia Tech couldn't offer him what he wanted. Um, so after scavenging for different options, and obviously I think if, if they could have gotten Barry Odom and there was a timetable to get him, that they would have gone that direction. But Justin Hamilton, I think, is, you know, yes, he doesn't have all that experience, but this past year definitely groomed to if it came to that point that he would be the defensive coordinator yeah there's no doubt that bud foster mentored him took took him under his wing whatever and um certainly sees a sees a bright future for him as a defensive coordinator and i think it helps um uh, probably help justin fuente, justin fuente be confident in hiring justin hamilton that um Foster's still going to be around in some capacity and um, certainly is Claytor Lake is not a far drive from, from the Merriman Center. So if um, I'm sure just like Frank Beamer is welcome back anytime, but Foster will be welcome back anytime. And if he wants to pop his head in and take a look at some film or evaluate some stuff with Justin Hamilton, I'm sure that will be a okay. And if everybody's eyes in Blacksburg, so that's, um, that probably gave Fuente a little more confidence. Clearly, they took a run at Barry Odom. You don't go four months during the season and then another 
I guess it was a week after the end of the year um, before promoting the guy that you've had all year without taking a run elsewhere. And I think clearly that Odom stuff was the main was the main thing. But they also didn't look around because they had the whole week and, you know, they're not resting, resting on their laurels, not not looking at potential candidates. So um, I don't think it was a hire made without deep consideration and without vetting a bunch of candidates and all that stuff. Um, if there's anything we know about Whit Babcock is that he knows how to run a major coaching search and a defensive coordinator spot at just about any school probably isn't a big, big coaching search, but at Virginia Tech placing Bud Foster was a huge coaching search. So no doubt they had a lot of resources put into it. And at the end of the day, you think about Justin Justin Hamilton comes to Blacksburg, comes back to Blacksburg in 2018 as director of player personnel or whatever his title was. Um, so for the last two years, Bud Foster and Justin Fuente have worked directly with him. So clearly he's impressed them enough over the last two years to make it, um, to have them feel comfortable in giving him the job full time. And then Jerry Kill comes in and... Um, Early October, late September, I think it was. Um, and of course, Jerry can do no wrong, but um, to have kind of like that third-party validation, it would be very easy to think, you know, Bud Foster's just pitching his former player that he loves, or Justin Fuente's been influenced by others around Virginia Tech that also loved um, Justin Hamilton, kind of that that groupthink mentality, but. Terry Kill comes in. He's not listening to anybody, to what anybody thinks. And, you know, after three months, he cl- he clearly gave his go-ahead as well um, based on what he'd seen from Justin Hamilton. So I think when you can get one of the best defensive coordinators in the history of college football on board, you can get your head coach on board. And then you got this, essentially a third-party consultant that comes in and, and gives his, his go-ahead to, I think, um, I think that's probably enough. I 100% agree. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, with the news of his appointment, uh, we found out that Charlie Wiles, longtime defensive line uh, coach, will not be retained. Zon Burden, the running backs coach, the 757 plug, he's on his way out. And Brian Mitchell, the cornerbacks coach, will also depart from the program. Yeah, uh, if you're going to make some changes, you might as well make them all. Um, I think the defensive line coach, Charlie Wiles, is obviously the big one um, in terms of he is to Bud Foster what Bud Foster was to Frank Beamer. And um, just an incredible career for him at Virginia Tech in terms of all the success he's had with numerous numerous players and um it's an interesting decision to let him go at the same time you're promoting a guy who's never been a defensive coordinator but i think that says a lot about where justin fuente and justin hamilton want to go with the defensive line and i think it's charlie wiles has done what he's done for 24 years and is very very good at it um the undersized you know, the smaller defensive ends, the guys that look like Eli Adams, 
and Norrell Pollard basically are the guys that Charlie Wiles can have a lot of success with. And I think Justin Fuente in particular and Justin Hamilton either agrees with him or spurred this decision by Justin Fuente one way or the other. They both agree that Virginia Tech needs to get bigger and better and land, particularly on the recruiting trail, better defensive line prospects. And I think that's that's basically what that decision to not retain Charlie Wiles came down to is we need to get bigger and better on the defensive line and the bigger defensive line prospects are ranked higher and you have to go toe to toe with the sec and all the other big programs who, cause if you're a six, four, six, five, 250 pound defensive end in high school, you're getting recruited by literally everyone. And I think Virginia tech, Justin Fuente and Justin Hamilton decided that that's who they need to be getting. Yeah, and looking around the rest of the ACC, you look at Pittsburgh's defensive line, one of the best units in conference, and they have defensive ends that are towering over you at 6'5", 265 plus. Um, You know, Charlie Wiles obviously did a tremendous job. Him and Bud go way back. Um, One of the longest tenured coach. Uh, behind Bud Foster that was left on the staff. But um, like you said, when when you make one change, there's several other changes that are going to happen because of that. We talked about it, even if it maybe we didn't mention that even if it was going to be an internal hire, that there still would be change. Um, but, you know, even on the offensive side with Zon Burden um, and actually our very own Evan G. Watkins, uh, reporting that Adam Lechtenberg will take over at the running back position. And I think a lot of it, too, not only is it about specific personnel, you talk about uh, bigger defensive linemen. Um, and then on the offensive side, you look at the running backs. And I think if you were to target an area that was kind of lacking over the Justin Fuente tenure, it would probably be that running backs group on the offensive side. I think they wanted to get a little more production out of those backs. Um, There might be some big turnover in that running back room. And uh, yeah, we can jump into Adam Lechtenberg because, you know, there is, there is a lot of people that, that absolutely hated uh, the report that Evan put out there um, that he would be taking over the running back room. And, you know, it's another guy that was kind of in, you know, operational management side. He was the 10th assistant coach. Um, He's been a very valuable recruiter. And I actually saw it when I put it out, the article that he would be the running backs coach that um, I think it was Tech Lunch Pail replied to it and said that Virginia Tech doesn't really do a good job of publicizing the accomplishments of some of their staff members. And I couldn't agree more with that. I think that when you look at a guy like Adam Lechtenberg, look, I'm going to be honest. I think people don't like him simply because he has a bowl cut, like simply because (laughs) of his appearance. I think people don't like him, which is kind of messed up. Um, But that is what our society is as a coach. He's unproven as a running backs coach. I'll give you that. Um, you know, in his defense, I think what a lot of staffs do with the running back room, you know, there's there's a whole coordination in the run game, one to go behind your tackles, certain runs, stretches, inside zone, whatever, you name it. There 
there is some things that you need to know as a running backs coach, but out of any position on a football team, the running backs are, you either have it or you don't. And what I mean by that, you either have the ability to run through the tackles and you have the vision or you simply don't, and you won't be a good running back. Um, there's not much more than that. And I know that sounds a little naive where his expertise comes in is recruiting and, Yes, the results haven't been there this year, but they're bringing in a guy, Marco Lee, Juco running back. The staff is super high on him. Look, he could be a starter next year. Um, You know, when he's announced Sunday night, even more news to pile on to the bowl game and the defensive coordinator. um, We find out that Khalil Herbert, a Kansas transfer with one year remaining, has committed to Virginia Tech, and he's absolutely electric. Um, So, you know, there's going to be some big pieces next year in that running back room. On top of that, he's recruiting the state of Texas very well. That TX2VT movement, in large part, is because of Adam Lechtenberg, believe it or not, Um, and Cornelson, but we can get into that later. Um, And then I guess the, the final thing about Lechtenberg you look at all these JUCO connections, Amari Barno, Deshaun Crawford, you know, an impact on the defensive line, all Lechtenberg. He has so many junior college connections, very plugged in in the recruiting world. And, you know, at the end of the day, between the production of the running backs under Zon Burden and the lack of talent coming out of the 757, I think that, you know, the whole staff agreed there needs to be more recruiting results and more on-field production results from that role. Yeah, if you weren't happy with um, Justin Hamilton's level of experience, uh, <laughs> you were furious with Adam Lechtenberg getting the running back coach job. But um, I think you covered it pretty well. I think the running back spot, yes, it's clearly um, one of the easier job positions to coach i think you touched on that but i mean the last two running backs coaches for virginia tech have been zon burden who was a wide receivers coach and shane beamer who was a special teams coach before um and maybe that was the issue so maybe lechtenberg is more of the same in that um so if you have that criticism that's probably fair just like justin hamilton if you're criticizing his experience level probably fair um but at the same time, um, I think this is a recruiting hire. You talked about not publicizing what Lechtenberg has done, and they haven't done it at all. Um, so you think he's just a guy like watching Juco tape all day, every day. Um, but you know he's gonna he's gonna work his tail off to recruit, and clearly is probably a pretty good recruiter to the Kansas transfer Khalil Herbert comes to Blacksburg this weekend the same weekend that the running backs coach gets fired so his position coach gets fired while he's on his official visit to Virginia Tech and he still commits Um, I think that says a lot about what Lechtenberg brings and you know how comfortable people are with him there and then you touched on it running backs they either got it and they don't now with Herbert and probably Kashawn King is the guy that is going to be like Adam Lechtenberg will probably be judged on Kashawn King's development. 
um, and whether he reaches what looks to be a really high ceiling, uh, big offseason ahead for him. But um, yeah, just a really interesting uh, couple hours there in terms of um, Justin Hamilton getting a job and and then a little bit later, you find out Lechtenberg's been promoted. The other thing I think that is worth considering is how it all fits in terms of the coaching staff. Adam Lechtenberg was the 10th assistant coach. So if you're going to keep him as the 10th assistant coach, you're hiring a running backs coach, which theoretically means you're pretty, you're limit, you're looking at a limited pool of candidates who can coach running backs. Now you move Lechtenberg to running backs coach, and now you're looking for a 10th assistant coach. And it could be any number of positions. It could be another another inside wide receivers coach, another <laughs> defensive ends coach, another offensive tackles coach. If you wanted to split up the offensive line, it could be a inside linebackers, outside. I mean, you can, now with that 10th assistant coach, you can basically go pick the best guy that you know you would like to add to your coaching staff in some capacity so um i think it makes a lot of sense from that perspective but certainly all eyes on on lechtenberg all eyes on kashawn king in terms of if virginia tech will get more production out of the running back room and we'll get into a lot of those rumors shortly we can't really talk about them unless they're public information but luckily, a lot of these are public information now. Um, kind of someone took it out of, of our message board and put it on Twitter. So I think we could be fine talking about it. Um, yeah, just but don't look- do that. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will. Um, I guess my last notes on Lechtenberg and really just some of the guys he's going to have next year. You talk about Keyshawn King and, uh, you know, what a, a breakout year he had as a freshman. You don't see that too often with running backs. Um, but he was a guy that you can definitely see that, he, you know, he has a long way to reach that ceiling, but the floor is already at a very, in a very good position. Um, he was, he was a guy that should have redshirted that was not physically right. It wasn't physically safe to play him 12 games and give him a hundred or give him 15 carries a game. So this off season, if you put 20 pounds on him, now he's there. Right. And that, I think that also goes back to, you know, the running back room. Was it well managed? Probably not. Um, but next season, uh, I just want to touch on Khalil Herbert a little bit. Uh, found some interesting stats. So I'll read this really quickly. Um, so he was on Kansas and he was behind a guy named Puka Williams. Very cool name. Um, one of the best backs in the Big 12. And, uh, you know, he, Khalil Herbert opted to redshirt himself this year so that he could play one final season somewhere else. Um, So that's why his stats don't look so good. We had a Kansas reporter come onto our site and noted that he had a hamstring injury and wasn't fully healthy, um, which also limited his production. But there's two games that I eyed that, you know, Virginia Tech has played and Kansas has played in the previous three seasons. The first is the Black Diamond Trophy, right? You remember the West Virginia game? Virginia mm-hmm. Tech ran for 234 yards as a team. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Khalil, Khalil Herbert later that year 
ran for 291 yards by himself <laughs> against West Virginia. And that okay. was that was the same year that Tech played him? Same exact year, 2017. Yeah, so Kansas is trash that year, too. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I mean, I mean, they're always pretty bad. But um, Okay, 2019. You and I were both at the Boston College game, right? And we're, we're thinking the whole time, ba- Baston College. Uh, we're thinking the whole time, where's the run game? 98 yards as a team. A few weeks later, you remember when everyone was freaking out? Kansas just beat Boston College 42-28. Virginia Tech is terrible. It was yep. because Khalil Herbert had 187 yards himself. Yeah, he he tore off, and <laughs> that was the beginning of the end of uh, Steve Adazio's tenure there at Boston College. Yeah, R.I.P. Steve. Well, I mean, he's not. <laughs> he didn't pass away, but he'll find he'll find an opportunity as an O-line coach somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah, but, but uh, in turn, if you're if you're talking about what he brings in terms of added production to the running back room. Um, I think last year Feaster was the guy that Regine tech wanted to add and was one of the top running back graduate transfers in the country. Same thing with Herbert um, here this year. <laughs> they closed on a much quicker than a uh, Feaster made a decision. So um, a big get in terms of, especially if as rumored, Deshaun McLeese is thinking about hanging it up or declaring for the NFL draft. You're looking for somebody to compliment Kashawn King in the backfield right now. And um, I think it's probably about as good as they could do in terms of adding a piece that can help immediately next year. Absolutely. And just the last note on him. And again, kind of a silly note, but he wear he wore the number 10 at Kansas and if you're going to wear a quarterback number like that, you have to be a good running back. You so, have to. I think the only other to. running back I know who wore 10 was uh, Steve Slayton at uh, West Virginia, and he was incredible. So He was so good. I, I approve. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, going back to the, the coaching carousel, Brian Mitchell departs. I think this one is very similar to Zon Burden in terms of need a bit more recruiting in that department look tremendous cornerbacks coach what he did with uh stroman although he inherited stroman and Faison um and uh adonis alexander you know he molded them into a, a very formidable pass defense cornerback group and then you know obviously a, a little bit of a blip in having caleb farley and uh Bryce Watts last season, you know, not the best, probably the worst statistical year in Bud Foster's career, but, uh, you know, rebounded well this season with Caleb Farley and uh, Jermaine Waller. But when you look at the guys that he's brought in, you know, Caleb Farley wasn't his guy that he brought in. Caleb Farley was a wide receiver that, you know, has a lot of natural ability and was able to learn a few things and use that natural ability at the position. So I think where the staff is headed there is they would like a guy, you know, maybe with some NFL experience uh, to take over and be a a solid recruiter on the defensive side from that spot. Yeah, Brian Mitchell is clearly a very, very good football coach in terms of developing players. You talked about Stroman's development, Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller this year. It speaks for itself. Really good coach. 
not a good enough recruiter. And just like with Charlie Wiles, it's a clear indication that Justin Fuente is not satisfied with, with, I guess, how far down the board they they tend to go every year when they miss out on their top targets. He wants to get their top targets. Um, I think in terms of if you're Virginia Tech's defense certainly has a brand to sell. If you're thinking about Virginia Tech anywhere, um, you're thinking about the lunch pail defense. So if there's a spot where you can make a dent recruiting and should be recruiting better, it's probably on the defensive side of the ball and specifically at cornerback with their history of putting um, DBs in the NFL. So I think just another example of Justin Fuente and Justin Hamilton recognizing that they need to recruit at a higher level. Um, I think it's interesting. If you think about the two defensive spots where they're changing, it's defensive line and cornerbacks coach. Those are the two positions that if you can – take your recruiting up a notch or two to a different level of player. They have the most, the most impact, the most value. You'll see the most, you know, the most ROI, if you will. Um, if you land top flight defensive linemen, they're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. And if you land top flight cornerbacks, they're, they're going to shut down the passing game. And those are two spots where you don't, don't really rely on anybody else you just go make plays and i think those are two spots where virginia tech could recruit at a much higher level so there are some very interesting rumors again these really originate from the message board kind of taken to twitter so i think it's acceptable for us to talk about some of them but some rumors for some of these uh job openings um and some of them are very interesting particularly on the defensive side of the ball where really all the openings are right now um, so we can start with cornerbacks coach director of player personnel has a pipeline to, uh, to the defensive <laughs> back, uh, positional coach. Now, Justin Hamilton, he could decide to take over the entire secondary, but a guy waiting in the ranks, Pearson Prelo could potentially be a fit at cornerbacks coach. He's the guy that. When he was brought in last year to take Justin Hamilton's spot, um, people were really high on, and um, I think he's certainly certainly a candidate. Um, you'll get the people that want the experience, um, <laughs> who want more experience, riled up again if you just promote him. Um, so it would add to the pressure on them and the pressure on Justin Fuente with these hires, but, um, you know, as a guy that won a Super Bowl, played in the NFL for 10 years, you know, he, he was, he was part of the unlucky class that graduated from Virginia tech in 1998, the year before they played for the national championship. Um, but then again, he was a fourth round draft pick in 1999. <laughs> so he's probably fine. You take that. <laughs> yeah. Making that, making a nice chunk of change. But, um, yeah, if he, uh, if the, I mean that's this is the the case same case with Justin Hamilton if if Bud Foster and Justin Fuente feel like if they've they've worked with him now since he joined the program if they think he's the the right fit for the cornerback spot role I think that's 
that's a that's a good spot for him. I think the biggest concern is definitely recruiting in terms of he hasn't done it. He has never been on the road. Um, so again, if you're criticizing that aspect of these hires, you're completely within within the boundaries there to do that. Um, but that would be an interesting hire, and uh, <laughs> would we just need <laughs> we just need a couple more guys to have been former players at Virginia Tech um, to come on back. <laughs> Yeah, and a guy with NFL experience, like you said, to touch on the recruiting experience, he doesn't have much, but right now is the time where you can make in-home visits after the season, before the dead period, and I find it very interesting that, you know, Justin Hamilton appointed, first thing he does, goes on the road. Who does he bring with him? Pearson Prelo, in-home visits. Now, if you're not going to, I know because they don't have Brian Mitchell right now recruiting for them, he could potentially be filling in. But like we see with Adam Lechtenberg, you know, maybe it's a promotion. Might be a promotion and maybe it's a audition where they're, they're fine. They think they can make it through signing day with kind of who they got right now. And um, I think coaches that go on these in-home visits and recruit when they take guys along with them probably can tell kind of how good they are and how much better they need to get before they're comfortable making, giving them the job full time. So I think Prelu, um, I'm sure he is real focused on doing a good job in those visits and recruiting right now. Cause he knows, I mean, it's, it's not hard to see what's at stake here for him. And, um, so we'll see what what turns out there. I mean, I, given how high people were on him as a as a future coach, um, you know, I think cornerback spot is another spot that you can come in and make a big impact early. I mean, UNC hired Dre Bly last year. I don't even know what Dre Bly was doing before that, but he wasn't coaching. He wasn't recruiting, um, but he seems to have made a big impact in terms of being able to recruit. So um, I think if if he's the right fit, it could work out. Absolutely. Three other names on the defensive side. Now, these are all external hires, technically. Um, we could start at linebackers coach. Obviously, Bud Foster controlled the linebackers. He won't anymore. Um, but this is where Jerry Kill comes in. Of course. (laughs) The rumor is Tracy Clays, a former defensive coordinator under Jerry Kill, also a head coach there and a defensive coordinator most recently at Washington State, even though it didn't really work out for him. He's rumored to be taking on the linebacker group and he serves. I'm, I'm just reading his Wikipedia. He served as an assistant for Jerry Kill for 21 years. And 16 years as a defensive coordinator. So if if Kill trusts him, I mean, you you guys can't complain. Clearly, a Jerry Kill seal of approval guy. Um, <laughs> 16 years as a defensive coordinator. If you're part of the train that we've been talking about that hates these moves because nobody is experienced. Here is a guy that is beyond experienced. Um, has seen it all. Been a defensive coordinator, position coach, a head coach. He spent two years as a head coach at Minnesota. Um, 
not going to be calling the defense, which is might be a good thing. Uh, he re- he resigned from Washington State in the middle of the year this year, shortly after they gave up 67 points to UCLA um, in a loss. So, you yeah. know, may- <laughs> maybe not the best defensive coordinator right now, but doesn't uh, need to be. Doesn't need to be linebackers coach. It will be interesting, I think, as far as a linebackers coach to go from Bud Foster to be playing in essentially Bud Foster's system, but bring in a guy that, you know, Bud Foster coached the linebackers also for 30 something years. And then, um, you know, does that, will he change if he were to be brought in? Will he change with the backer and the mic and all that stuff looks like? We don't know. And Justin Hamilton will have a say in that as well. So, um, but I think it's a good opportunity in terms of, who are you going to bring in if you're bringing in Prelude and and um, Lechtenberg and promoting Justin Hamilton? Who are you going to bring in that has been there, done that time and time again? And he fits that. I, I'm not. I'll be honest. I wouldn't be thrilled with this this hire. I mean, I think in terms of. Uh, you know, he's experienced, but I mean, he's just been with Jerry Kill his whole career. And then he goes out to Washington State and that doesn't work. Um, doesn't doesn't really jump off the page for me as a, yeah. as a great move. But um, certainly if you're looking for experience, he fits the bill. Yeah. And I'll say that's the number one selling point for him. All that experience with the lack of experience of, you know, Hamilton and Prelo that we mentioned, you know, it's good to have a good balance of guys that have seen it all and then NFL experience guys and you know your wrong your young recruiting aces um, on the staff so uh, yeah it'll be an interesting mix and it'll be interesting to see how they all interact if it does happen um, you know beneficiary maybe of being kills friend but look uh, you, will he change too much he inherits a room with Rayshard Ashby Dax Hollyfield. Um, maybe you'll make something out of Amari Barno, uh, Alan Tisdale, obviously there, uh, Keyshawn artist, a guy people forget about, but, you know, impressed me in the short spurts that he did play. So, um, I don't think he needs to change too much about that room. They already kind of have it going there. Yeah. If you, I'm just reading his Wikipedia, um, you know, it, this is Wikipedia, but it says he transformed the Gopher defense into one of the best in the Big Ten. <laughs> um, so, you know, four first he coached four first team All Big Ten defensive selections. So he has some success there. Um, so, you know, he's a, I mean, clearly was a good enough coach to stick around as Jerry Kill made his way up the chain, and then Mike Leach hires him at um, Washington State. So. Um, could be, again, just the experience factor, I think, is the big thing. You posed a very good question. Moving Adam Lechtenberg to the running back's position would open up essentially another spot that you could split defensive line, linebackers, whatever, <laughs> even inside receivers if you really want to. Hey, people um, do it. People do it. But the rumor <laughs> is the defensive line will be split up into ends and defensive tackles. Now, this name is pretty big because it would be nice to have two former studs for Virginia Tech that represented in the NFL, but three is better than two. 
And the rumor is Daryl Tapp at defensive ends coach. How do you feel about that? Um, if you're talking about replacing Charlie Wiles, there's not a more um, Charlie Wiles player than Daryl Tapp as a six-foot defensive end. Um, became one of the best players of Virginia Tech history there. Um, played a whole bunch of years in the NFL. Um, is now just getting his coaching career started. I think. I think if you're gonna, I think splitting the defensive line makes a lot of sense if you're trying to improve the defensive. If recruiting the defensive line is where you think, if recruiting the defensive line better is where you think, will re- where you'll get a huge pop. Um, I think having individual coaches, especially a guy like Daryl Tapp who played in the NFL, is probably particularly appealing to guys that want to get to the NFL. Um, I know that was the knock on Charlie Wiles for much of the end of his tenure was that he's not sending enough guys to the NFL when you're talking about the recruiting misses with the Farrells and the Sweats and Derek Nandy and all those guys. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that um, a lot of people have hoped would get into coaching and would come back to Virginia Tech at some point, and I think he makes a lot of sense. Yeah, just a quick fun fact about Josh Sweat. The night before his decision uh, to ultimately end up at Florida State, he was a top 10 prospect, I think number one at some point, um, and uh, you know, gave a lot of info to Evan. Um, his mom actually painted the interior of their car in uh, orange and maroon, <laughs> and he decided to go to Florida State the next day. Um, so, yeah, that's one of... <laughs> <laughs> One of many misses, you know, a guy that's now in the NFL playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, struggling a little bit with injuries, but uber talented athlete. Um, and, you know, uh, Daryl Tapp, um, a guy out of Chesapeake, second round pick. Like, imagine being a recruit and going into his office and he has his six different NFL jerseys framed behind him. You're immediately going to wake up from whatever presentation you just heard from whatever recruiting intern just slugged you around campus. You know, uh, he's a big personality. He's a guy that's working at Vanderbilt right now. And again, it's another guy with NFL experience, um, that kind of brings some energy to the staff, maybe doesn't have a world of knowledge, um, but can use his past experience at the position and playing it at, the highest level uh, to identify guys that maybe were like him or, you know, got teaching technique that he learned in the NFL through 11 years there. Um, So I think it would be a splashy hire and a very good hire for Virginia Tech if he does ultimately wind up being the defensive ends coach at Virginia Tech. Yeah, you kind of get the, I mean, you get the 757 connections there with him. Um, And then... If the goal is to recruit the better defensive linemen, the higher-ranked defensive linemen, if it doesn't happen and you're still recruiting kind of at the same level you're recruiting at now, uh, there's probably not a better example of you know what that defensive lineman can become at Virginia Tech than Daryl Tapp. So I think that's a good fit. And then the defensive tackles coach, speaking of good fits in the 757, 
Robert Prunty is rumored to be interested in a potential defensive tackle position at Virginia Tech. He is the current head coach of Hampton University, where DeAndre Francois, the former FSU quarterback that played against Virginia Tech at the beginning of the season in 2018, uh, spent his final season. Um, He's a guy that worked at Hargrave Military Academy in Virginia a place where Virginia Tech would love to have connections because they always produce studs. Worked at Texas Tech, a little Texas connection. Uh, Worked at Cincinnati as the associate head coach, uh, defensive end and D-line coach. Um, And then worked at East Carolina as the defensive coordinator and defensive line coach. So he's a guy that has ample experience. He's been a head coach, coordinator, uh, associate head coach, and he's a guy that, you know, focuses on the defensive line. And I guess most of all, you know, bringing in another head, former head coach with experience um, to add to the collective minds of the group, some young, some old, um, and having a guy really be um, the entryway into the 757. Yeah, if, you're, if you remember back when Virginia Tech had a lot of success in the 757. They kind of were splitting the 757 with Steinspring and Newsom. Um, I think having two options in there with Prunty, obviously, would be one. Daryl Tapp would be another. Is a pretty decent idea, and he's a guy, he talked about his connections at Hargrave that um, has sent numerous players to... Um, 27 NFL players from Hargrave Academy. A lot of players in the NFL. <laughs> um, and, I mean, he's bounced around. I mean, if you were bringing him from Harvard or Hargrave, um, <laughs> you would be concerned. But, obviously, bounced around with Texas Tech and Cincinnati to get some get some higher-level college football experience. So, he makes a lot of sense. Um, currently, the head coach at Hampton. So, I mean, that's I think anytime you're hiring a head football coach to be your potentially a defensive tackles coach um, seems to be a good, a good fit. And again, we talked a lot about experience this podcast, but if, if Clay's is going to be the guys, the linebackers coach Prunty brings different experience and more experience also, um, particularly if you're going to pair him with tap on the defensive line. Yeah. And um You know, maybe these awards are a little outdated from his time at Texas Tech, but he was twice named the Midlands Recruiter of the Year. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, assigning, you know, two guys to the defensive line, one, they get to work with, you know, a smaller group rather than a broad defensive line with different heights, different weights, different techniques, um, which, again, is credit to Charlie Wiles for being able to hold all that information, but I think it would also allow him to really explore the recruiting trail and be able to focus in on just the guys he's coaching. And here's the, I guess one of the impressive things about that is that this is a guy that grew up in or came up in Virginia and then coached at Hargrave military Academy in Virginia for, I mean, he was coaching in Virginia for 20 years, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden he goes to Texas Tech and he's the Midlands recruiter of the year, which I think it would be safe to assume he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't deeply connected in Texas. He wasn't, um, 
or anywhere in the Midwest, all his connections were here in here in Virginia. So um, I think that says a lot about his ability as a recruiter. Um, if he's going from a 20 year career in Virginia to instantly having success in Texas. So um, if, if these moves are made for recruiting reasons and you're bringing in a guy like Prunty, who's obviously a good, good recruiter, and then you feel like Tap and Prelude can be a good recruiter. Um, Hamilton's obviously above average recruiter. Lechtenberg has literally only recruited in his career at Virginia Tech. I think as a whole, you can kind of see where these hires are going. Three things. NFL experience, experience in general, and personalities. And, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, when they see these hires individually, I don't know what people are going to think about it. Some people complain just to complain. Um, but I think if you look at the assemblance of the staff and, like you said, where Justin Fuente is trying to gear this program towards, you know, he's making some big changes. Um, and I think it's trying to accomplish better results on the recruiting trail and, you know, creating a more sustainable identity for the defensive side of the ball. Um uh, with him as the head coach so making a lot of r- risky decisions but um you know this is this is the big payoff period for him one thing when you just think about the defensive staff in general and Justin Hamilton is him coming in as defensive coordinator it's probably better to clear the deck so to speak with the position coaches where you could promote Justin Hamilton this year and if you don't I'm not saying this is the sole reason, but if Charlie Wiles is still there and if Brian Mitchell is still there and Charlie Wiles has been there for a quarter of a century and Brian Mitchell's going on year six and you're really only bringing in one replacement as linebackers coach, you know, I think that could be limiting for Hamilton and having command of the defensive unit as a whole and being able to do what he really wants to do to put his own mark, so to speak, on the defense. Um, I can imagine as a first year defensive coordinator, if you're sitting in the room and you've and you've got consultant Bud Foster there, you've got Charlie Wiles who's been there for years, you've got Jerry Kill sitting in there who's been a coach for years, maybe you have Tracy Clays who's been there, who's been a coach for years. You don't really get a chance to kind of have your own voice and, and do your own thing with whatever he thinks the defense needs to do better. So I think it's a good thing for Justin Hamilton going into his first defensive coordinator, first year's defensive coordinator to, to kind of get a, to get a staff of his own guys. Absolutely agree. Shall we jump into some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we're going to go over some questions. You guys know this segment. Um, unfortunately missed a bunch of questions last week. And, uh, you know, some people, hokey scrubs were very angry with us. Um, for not hitting those questions and we got a few more for today. Um, but Hokie scrubs wanted to know the best sandwich place in Charlotte for last week's podcast. I glanced over it and tried to get to the more, uh, prevalent questions, but don't worry, Hokie scrubs. I got you. I went on Twitter and like who wants to be a millionaire. I phoned a friend. Um, and the best advice I sought 
was the Belk Bowl Twitter account, a great follow on Twitter. If you need to know anything about Charlotte, they're your people. So I said, sup, Belk Bowl, any recommendations for sandwiches in Charlotte? And they said, what type of sandwich are you looking for? Now, I didn't have any information on this Hokie Scrubs. You seem like a hearty sub kind of guy. So that's what I went with. And I got a few recommendations for you. Re-Raw Sandwich Shop, Clover Joe's, and Reed's Fine Foods. All brought to you by the Belk Bowl. I think when you're in Charlotte for the Belk Bowl, you should go to every single one of those. Let me report yeah. back. Yeah, within an hour or two. Uh, <laughs> take a video of it. <laughs> um, let's see. What else do we have here? Red to Maroon. Is Evan still mad at me? Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we need to go more into that. Um, Hbird17. Thoughts on Herbert and the running back room for 2020? And I reckon you can also touch on Lechtenberg and if this is a permanent position for him or if it's interim. So, uh, yeah, you can go first. I'll I'll tackle the running back question um, okay. for what's like RH. Um, well, well, RH, I will tell you that as we discussed earlier in the podcast, um, I think it's a Herbert and Kashawn King show in 2020. Uh, King's obviously the guy that you are looking to have a huge offseason if you're... <laughs> If you're somebody who likes to watch the weights get updated on Hokie Sports, he is the number one guy to watch because if he can get up to around 200 pounds, we saw flashes of what he can do. But obviously with 15, 20 more pounds, um, you feel a lot more comfortable giving him the rock 15 to 20 times a game for for an entire season. And then Herbert clearly proved what he can do at Kansas. So I think those are your top two, um, top two guys. In the running back room, Deshaun McLeese might come back, might leave Jalen Holston. Um, I saw a tweet from Brendan Hill today that (laughs) discounted Jalen Holston, and Jalen Holston responded and said something like, I guess I got to prove myself again next year. Sounds like he'll be back. Maybe he'll be healthy. Um, And then we'll see what happens with the rest of the room, but I think it's clear that Herbert and King are going to be the top two guys. I'm going to throw in two more Marco Lee, Juco guy, Coffeeville community college. He's a guy five eleven, two twenty five, a much bigger back than I think everyone saw last year. And I think was lacking with Jalen Holston hurt that you need a guy to move the chains. I think he can be that guy. If not, if they find out early on that Jalen Holston fully back healthy, he's their guy to move those chains, maybe adds a bit more speed or versatility in the offense. They can always redshirt Marco Lee, but you know the staff is really high on him. And under Lechtenberg, maybe he reaches new heights. Um, and then in terms of, or I guess the other name would be uh, Jordan Brunson, a guy that was being eyed at by Wisconsin, uh, an incoming recruit, will be a freshman. Freshmen do well in this system. Uh, maybe it gets a few carries and, and breaks a few loose. But anytime you're talking about potentially a Wisconsin running back, I mean, took, come on. He, Jonathan he took the words Taylor. right out of my mouth. Like if Wisconsin <laughs> wants him as a running back, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then in terms of interim or 
permanent. I know there's some rumors flying around and discrediting Evans evidence that he's a full time, but uh, I'm, you know, 99% certain that he's a full time coach at this point at this juncture. I'll go with what you're saying there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hokey scrubs. I can't I can't miss any more questions or I'll be yelled at. Um, this one's kind of a silly one. Is it possible to replace James Shibus, the tight ends and special teams coach, with Oscar Bradburn while he's still a punter on scholarship? Look, wow. Oscar Bradburn could be the athletic director. He could be the president of the university. He could be the governor of the state. He could be. The, he can't be the president of the United States. Illegal. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very illegal. One, he's not 35, and two, he's not born in the United States. Um, yeah, he could be whatever he wants to be, and we should all support Oscar Bradburn while he's going through these troubling times of being discounted and discredited by the media. Whatever Oscar wants to do, I fully support him. Um, but yeah, I think he wants to remain a punter for the time being. I agree. <laughs> all right. Peninsula Wolf, will there be any changes to recruiting strategy on the defensive side, specifically defensive line with the new defensive coordinator? I think we touched on this quite a bit um, already, but yeah, I think they're going to be going for bigger defensive ends, bigger defensive tackles, and trying to close on higher rated defensive linemen. Schmidt Show 76 who would your coaching choices for the open positions be and why? I, I don't know, man. I, I can't. It's <laughs> I hard to feel... like think of I- other ideas besides the people that have already been thought of. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I just deal with what I'm told and constantly cycling through information, trying to find out if there's any truth to it. Um, so I don't really have time to ponder on the possibilities. Um, I will say, you know, of everyone that we listed, nobody's really a proven recruiting ace. I think they can be put in situations where they can become very good recruiters. I think people will be surprised by Lechtenberg. Um, but yes, I think Virginia Tech, if they if they want to get back to those 10 win seasons competing for an ACC championship and, you know, having a puncher's chance against Clemson every season, I think they really need to up the recruiting um, production. And in order to do that, you really do need an ace. Yeah. I guess that's the thing about this coaching decisions is that there's not an obvious one in this group, at least from what we can tell, um, I think Hamilton is an upgrade over Foster, at least on the recruiting trail. So that's a good start. Um, but we'll see what happens um, with the rest of them. And I, I, ju- I just want to point on this one more time in terms of recruiting and Lechtenberg being the new ace in the hole. The Texas to Virginia Tech movement has really a- been – look. Demetrius, Demetrius, uh, Davis, you know, he's a Cornelson guy, uh, Cornelson, Lechtenberg, big in Texas. Um, but a few more prospects coming up, Robert Wooten coming up for an official visit, Clinton Anak Wuru, tough last name. Uh, both those guys, defensive ends, 
And then a guy named Alec Bryant, a four-star in the class of 2020, a former LSU commit, and he's coming to Virginia Tech and is supposed to sign early, has offers from Oklahoma, uh, you know, USC is another school that's really high on him. Um, so, you know, they're bringing, like, you think there's a lot of, you know, openings on this defensive side. And Lechtenberg is bringing these guys to campus. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, we said uh, Herbert committed when the same weekend that his um, position coach got fired. Um, and then these guys are coming on campus and there's not a defensive ends coach or defensive line coach. There's only one defensive coach on the staff right now um, and they're still coming to campus. So credit to the the TX2VT people. Yeah, big official visit weekend. We can recap it next week and share some of the intel that we received. But, you know, it's it's very interesting. Um, a lot of Texas guys want to come up to cold Blacksburg in December. Um, I do worry about that as whether they will <laughs> actually sign because, like, I'm sure the recruiting pitch is a great pitch. But Listen, then you're flying into Roanoke, drive into Blacksburg, and then it's December in Blacksburg. So, listen, Lechtenberg. All right, <laughs> all right. All your all your troubles go away. Are, um, are you transitioning from Oscar Bradburn to Adam Lechtenberg? Uh, I don't want to jump on that wagon just yet. All right. <laughs> I think you know Oscar with one more year, I might try again. You know, I'll have my people talk to Oscar's people All and right. then we'll decide who's the next uh, champion that I support. Um, cool. Brush 24. Do you play Pokemon, Doug? Or ha- <laughs> did you play Pokemon? I collected the cards. I'd... OK, so if you could have one Pokemon in real life, which Pokemon would you choose? <laughs> Charizard. I was going to go Charizard, too. <laughs> Isn't he the best? Well, the reason I was going to pick Charizard, I have no heat, and I live upstairs in my house, and it's freezing right now. My nose is starting to run a little bit, and I can't sleep at night. <laughs> it's just functional. It just <laughs> just makes sense. Then. Well, if I had a Charizard, he would, you know, keep you warm. Breathe fire. Oh, that doesn't sound pleasant, but he would keep <laughs> me warm. Um, Irrational Gobbler. This one's especially for Doug. Oh. How's Chelsea doing? <laughs> oh, okay. Chelsea's my girlfriend. She's doing great. It's funny. Irrational Gobbler. That's a really... F- you know, I have a friend that has been known to have some irrational moments during Virginia Tech games. So I wonder if that's him. Um, so the... Um, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but she's doing great. <laughs> The last question, this one's from the first page that we missed, um, uh-huh. by ATC4VT. I think this is a very interesting question, and um, I haven't really thought about it, but do you think Fuente is the guy to close the gap on Clemson and take Virginia Tech on a playoff run? If so, give reasons why. Same thing if not. I think he has put them in a position to have a chance at it. Maybe not this year, but in either 2020 or 2021. Um, I don't think they closed the gap on Clemson. 
anytime soon, but they could their position to make a run, um, certainly with all the returning talent over the next two years. And I think it's interesting. You look at when they played Clemson in the ACC championship game. That was the first year for Justin Fuente. He assembled the class at the last second, brought in Gerard Evans, implemented a first-year offensive philosophy with a ton of veterans. You could argue that the defense really carried that team, but if he can get within a touchdown of Clemson in an ACC championship game, I think whether it's 2020 or 2021 is the year, at least in his eyes, where he has all of his players playing at that veteran status being you know three or or at that point four year starters that really ramp up the offense ramp up the defense everyone comes up together um it's kind of like what we saw with virginia this year you know it was just a perfect storm of all these things happening having a senior quarterback having you know they did lose a few pieces but for the most part everything that was good about them they brought back and I think that's what Virginia Tech is trying to accomplish the next two years. Where I'm getting with all of that, I think they will have a chance to win the Coastal in the next two years. I think that's, I mean, that's the goal every year. But, you know, very realistically, win the Coastal uh, convincingly within the next two years. And if you win the Coastal, if you don't falter against the Georgia Techs or Dukes or Pittsburghs, uh, North Carolinas, and you get into the ACC championship game with one loss and you beat Clemson, I mean, that's your that's your window right there. So, yeah, the, when problem, the, ACC... the problem with next year specifically is that Clemson is still going to have Trevor Lawrence. Um, 2021, then. <laughs> 2021. I mean, there's a whole bunch of talent returning. Virginia Tech will return their whole starting, <laughs> starting offensive line the next two years. Could return Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson for the next two years. Hazelton will obviously be gone after this year. Could return Hendon Hooker for the next two years. Kashawn King. The list goes on. Rayshard Ashby's leaving. Jared Hewitt will leave. Divine Diablo will leave. Caleb Farley will probably leave. But um, there's a lot of depth that is just going to be coming that is projected to return. So um, certainly I think. Does it does will is Virginia Tech positioned to become Clemson in that they are a playoff team year in and year out? No, but I don't think Virginia Tech will ever be that kind of program. Um, they'll more than likely be the guys sniffing around at a at a playoff run where you like if you're Baylor and you have a huge game against Oklahoma that could get you into the playoff. That's you know, if that happens every couple of years, I think that's probably Virginia Tech's ceiling, which yeah. is, which would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, it's all about having that chance with Clemson, just getting to that point. Um, and what's interesting is once Trevor Lawrence departs for the NFL, probably after being a true junior, they have the number one recruit or I think he's like top five recruit right now, but number one quarterback, DJ Ugalele out of Bellflower, California. Uh, he's gonna, <laughs> he's sitting behind, he's like voluntarily sitting behind Trevor Lawrence for a year to redshirt. And then, yeah, 
So they're always going to have talent. Look, it's Clemson. They've established themselves. They've showed up on the national stage. They're getting a ton of money for making the playoffs every single year. Um, but look, the team that, again, Virginia Tech was within one touchdown of ended up winning the national championship that year uh, with Deshaun Watson. Um you're going to have a chance. You have to play that game. Maybe Clemson doesn't come out. Maybe they don't perform. That doesn't matter. Uh, if you go into that game and you're 11-1 and one and you pull off the upset, that's your opportunity right there. Yeah, I think for sure. I think there's a real chance they could be playing a conference championship playing game against Clemson in the next two years. Yeah. And maybe if it moves to eight teams in the playoffs... Uh, all, all who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that'll do it for the questions tonight. That'll do it for this podcast. I know Doug has been gracious with his time and he must go to a very pressing life event right now. <laughs> what is it? Uh, top golf. It's half off top golf. Ah, okay. <laughs> going with, you know, we got Hokey Logan, we got VCU Chuck going. Um, Richmond recently got Top Golf, which makes us a real city. So now they're doing half off Top Golf, which is great. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I will be making some dinner because I'm absolutely starving. But uh, anything else to add on any of the topics we touched tonight? I know it's it's been a lot. I just want to say it's now eight oh six on Tuesday night. If I, I haven't looked at Twitter recently, but I hope to God nothing. No news broke <laughs> during this podcast that makes whatever we said irrelevant. Please listen to this as soon as possible. <laughs> oh man, I got a I got a lot of text messages, but okay, I gotta go read those. Anyways, thank you everyone for listening. Keep the wolves in your prayers to go one and zero, and then one and zero again, so that we could be three and zero by Sunday night. All right, everyone, we'll see you next week. Oh. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.